Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Parents beware. I had heard about boys and computer games, how they got stuck on devices and it was difficult to get them off. Then my nephew got a games console and it was all my son wanted for his seventh birthday. And excited by his excitement, we got him one. Now I am that parent who's grappling with their child's screen time. Dr. Christy Goodwin is a digital wellbeing author and researcher and I'm hoping she can help with this situation. Hi, Christy. How are you? Good to be here, Siobhan. I'm like you. I have uh, three boys, um, <laughs> varying ages, and two of them are old enough to have an interest, shall I say, an infatuation um, <laughs> with gaming. So <laughs> your digital dilemma. And, and I laugh because you and I have spoken for years now, and I'm sure we've talked about this before. And I was, you know, I should know better, but I did think in my head, yeah. It's not going to happen to me. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just never going to give him a, a Nintendo or whatever it is. But of course, I did. Um, you did. Now, listen. My daughter never seemed to have much interest in gaming or even in screens. Like she does love TV. I, I'm hand up. She loves TV, but she'll also happily find other things to do. Like she'll go and do some craft or she'll go and play with some toys in the shed, and. I have noticed that my son is very different. Mm. So when the screen is on, he is in that screen. And I'm wondering if there is a gender difference between how girls and boys interact with that kind of technology. You are right. And your case study of two children is actually <laughs> representative um, of broader data that we see. And that is that boys tend to um, really gravitate towards um, gaming activities. And we think that that is for a host of reasons. We know, first and foremost, the part of their brain, their prefrontal cortex that helps regulate their behavior, it is underdeveloped. It actually doesn't fully develop until they're somewhere in their mid to late 20s. Awesome. Um, <laughs> yes, sorry, bearer of bad news there straight up. Um, but that's the part of the brain that helps them with self-regulation. It's the impulse control center. And that part of the brain is what they need to say, look, I've been playing four hours of Fortnite. I should turn it off and go and tidy my bedroom. <laughs> but let's be honest, that conversation is never going to happen with your child, your son, um, because that part of the brain isn't fully developed. We also know they get hits of testosterone and adrenaline when they're, you know, having a battle or gaining ammunition or tackling somebody in a virtual soccer match. And so these um, neurobiological effects as well entice them to want to stay in the game even longer. The design of the games, um, often there's very subliminal but very clever persuasive design techniques that get them hooked into constantly wanting to play. You know, they want to get to the next level. They want to beat the next person. They want to acquire more ammunition. I call it the, the state of insufficiency. They never feel dumb. So they're more likely to stay on these platforms. It's not to say that girls are immune to those effects because some of those, again, especially those design effects play into how girls use screens, but girls tend to um, spend more time online wanting to connect with others. So they're more interested in group chats, often consuming social media, watching video content, especially around popular topics. So there are some, in fact, gender differences in how boys and girls use screens. Which is a whole 
other conversation when we talk about <laughs> social media, but let's let's keep that in the box for the moment. I'm interested as well in the YouTube videos that are, are attached to gaming because if he's not playing his games, no. he wants to watch other people playing the games on YouTube mm. and he is obsessed with them. Um, and it, that is really not a part of my experience of childhood. Obviously, I'm a child of the 80s, so we didn't YouTube. What was that? Um, but the idea that he is as fascinated with someone else playing the game as he is playing the game himself is quite interesting to me. I'm not, I'm not really sure I understand it. Do you know, you're not the only parent scratching their head. I hear lots of parents say, you know, they spend just as many hours watching YouTube clips of other people playing their video game as what they do playing it. And I often say to parents, before we wag our finger and, you know, cast aspersions on our kids, there are a number of adults who choose to watch TV shows of people renovating their houses. So we often (laughs) also watch really benign, you know, (laughs) bland, irrelevant content too. So I just put that out there to sort of contextualise it. Can I also say that that is not grand designs, all right? You cannot say. No, definitely. Oh, no, that's highbrow. Um, (laughs) What what we're seeing here is, again, I, I mean, we can look at it in two ways. We can, you know, say it's doom and gloom and if it's having a, a huge, occupying a huge amount of their time, then perhaps it can be in problematic territory. But if they're using it as a learning tool, like they're learning cheats or they're learning new ways to manipulate or use the game, or they're using it to connect with their peers when they go back to school and say, hey, I heard how such and such used this, then it's not always necessarily taboo or toxic for them to do it. The problem with many of these channels is, um, the YouTube channels I'm talking about here, is that sometimes the content on these YouTube clips is really unsavory or the comments and links in the comment section of the YouTube channel can be really problematic as well. So that's just something to be mindful of. But I think it can be a good tool, especially if our boys are using it as a way to gain extra skills and knowledge. And I don't want to be that doomsayer because I also don't want to shame my son about what he watches. But because this is a parenting safe space, can I just say that some of those YouTubers are really annoying? Oh, I hear you. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) It's all I hear is these really loud American teenage boys yelling and screaming on the telly. And I'm like, yeah, no, they're just annoying. (laughs) And we do have to be careful of that because it is entering our boys' vernacular. Um, we have something in our brains called mirror neurons, meaning that we're hardwired to copy and imitate what we see and hear. So if we are constantly hearing, and teachers are actually telling me this anecdotally, they have children, and this is boys and girls, who are imitating the dialects and the language that they're hearing online. So we've got wow. kids who are mirroring the language that they are hearing on these platforms. Yeah, and it's it's so unregulated, really. I mean, the ones that my son listens to when I'm I'm paying attention, I can tell they're being age appropriate, right? They're not being. Yep. They're, I think they're avoiding saying things that boys of their age probably would say if they thought their their audience were just their peers. So mm-hmm. they seem to have it's the ones that my son listens to anyway. Seem to know who they're attracting and are being responsible about it. But there's no regulation of that. Not like when we were growing up, children, you know, there were certain hours that children's programming would be on TV and 
you know, you wouldn't have anything with a swear word on it. <laughs> so in some ways that gives it a, an element of freedom, but also means that we have to be more vigilant as parents, don't we? We do. And I, I hate to put another thing on parents' plates, but we really have to be, I call it being the pilot of the digital plane. And you've got to know as a parent what platforms um, and digital playgrounds your child's playing in. You know, just like we wouldn't let little kids and even primary school kids often go to a playground without adult supervision, nor should we do that in a digital space. So a good suggestion there is that if your son is subscribing or listening to content, um, make sure that you know the, the channels that they are perhaps subscribing to or who they're listening to, because that can in some ways help you vet the content that they're consuming. The other thing we need to do is to have really open conversations with our kids. And this has to happen at a young age, that if they do hear something that is inappropriate, some you know language that's not appropriate, maybe they click on a link that they shouldn't. If the video changes and the autoplay feature on YouTube takes them to another video that perhaps isn't as sanitized, that they can come to you when there is a problem. We need to have these conversations early and often so that kids have the skills so that when they see, hear or encounter unsavory content, they know they can come to a trusted adult and report it because we know they don't when they get older. I feel like there are a million conversations in one here, but let's go back to the <laughs> games for a moment. I know mm -hmm. that you don't like the word addicted. Though sometimes that's how I would want to describe my son's attachment to gaming. How would you describe it? So the research actually tells us, um, and I'm cautious, Christy, so I go back to what research says, that very few children would be clinically diagnosed as having a gaming addiction. It's not to suggest that there are no children who are addicted, but um, the reality is for most children, they have some unhealthy digital dependencies or some obsessions or unhealthy digital habits. And I think if we couch it in that language, rather than just labeling them as addicted, we're more likely to put in place strategies to try and tame their tech, as opposed to just sort of waving our hands in the air and saying they're addicted, because that almost allows us to, you know, abdicate responsibility. So I think if we look at them as some problematic behaviours, then we can start to put in place some healthy boundaries. And that's one of the key things that pilots of the digital plane have to do is they have to establish the digital borders and boundaries with their kids, not on them. So I'm not suggesting you give your son a, a gaming contract or a great gaming agreement. They don't work. <laughs> <laughs> They, they really don't. But sitting down with your son at a good time and coming up with the parameters, I call them the digital guardrails. What are the rules around what games he can play? When can he play them? With whom can he interact on multiplayer games? How will he use it? There's, you know, huge issues around musculoskeletal and eye issues if they're not using them in the right way. So sitting down and actually having some concrete parameters can be a really proactive way and a way to sort of steer any unhealthy digital habits back into healthy territory again. What about time limits? You mentioned earlier sometimes that there, there are things going on with our kids while they're gaming that are actually quite positive. How do we decide or determine what is an appropriate period of time that a child can play their game? Oh, this is the million-dollar digital parenting <laughs> question, <laughs> how yes. much question. And it is really hard to prescribe an exact digital dose, and there's a couple of reasons why. Not every child is the same. Kids all have different tipping points, and if you've got multiple children, you know some kids can have an hour on a game and can come off and be just as delightful as what they were before they went on, 
and their sibling can have an hour on the exact same game and come off and they can be throwing techno tantrums, they can be aggressive, moody, and broody. So kids all have different tipping points. The other thing I think we need to look at is we need to really, I think the bigger question and the better question we can ask is what are our kids doing on the game and what is their time displacing? Mm. So are they still getting enough physical activity? Are they um, getting enough sleep? Are they playing? Are they hearing and using enough language? So are they reading? Are they doing their homework? All the, the vital skills that we know that make up um, or essential for child development, if we make sure their basic physical and psychological needs are being met, then we don't have to fret and have all this worry about screen time. But what's happening in many households is that screen time takes up the disproportionate amount of time and all of a sudden kids aren't physically active as much as they used to be. They're not playing. They're not developing social and language skills like they used to. So I think we need to sort of broaden the conversation and um, stop obsessing around how much time and instead ask what are they doing and what is their time online displacing. You mentioned there that some children will come off their tech and be completely calm and reasonable and others will be moody or cranky and, and obviously having an impact and leaving the tech is obviously having an impact on them. Do you have any suggestions of how we might help them <laughs> Yes. transition back into their non-screen world? Yes. First and foremost, because we're focusing on gaming here, before you want your son to switch off his gaming console, prime him that his time is coming to an end. There is nothing more upsetting for a boy than you going in halfway through a game and insisting that he turn off the console instantly. He might be halfway towards a goal or halfway towards acquiring something really meaningful and you instantly demand that he terminate it. That causes, you know, all sorts of big emotions. You know, as an adult, if my husband came out midway through a trashy episode of reality TV I was enjoying <laughs> and told me to turn it off, I'd be throwing a pillow at him. Um, <laughs> yes. we, but we do this to our kids all the time. And what we're actually doing is terminating their, their dopamine in their brain. And that's why they erupt when they come off. So we call it priming. So say to them, when you finish this, this game, when you get to the next level, when this scene transitions from day to night, I'd like you to turn it off. The other strategy that works really well is to give them an appealing transition activity. So when they do switch off the console, can you give them, and that you don't need a long menu, but a choice of two activities that they might like to do. So when you've turned off the, the gaming console, do you want to jump on the trampoline or take the dog for a walk? When you've switched off the Nintendo, do you want to go and have a wrestle with your brother or set the dinner table? <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, are you saying that's something your child would enjoy? <laughs> Wishful thinking. Um, but giving them those appealing transition activities. And my third one, and this is as a mum of three boys, this one works a treat. And I heard, I know you, you love Maggie Dent as well. Mm -hmm. Maggie talks about physical touch. And we recently surveyed um, boys and we asked them, why do they love gaming so much? And it broke my heart because in this survey, boys said one of the reasons they love gaming is because it's the only time in the day where anyone tells them they're doing a good job. Oh, that's you get so rewards. Cool. Yeah. And so I've heard Maggie Dent talk about we can very powerfully send a message of reward to our boys by touch. And I know this has been taken out of schools for child safety reasons, mm. but can you, can you, when you're prying them off the, the console, give them a cuddle or a nudge on the shoulder or 
tap on their tickle spot maggie talks about between their shoulder blades when you touch anyone their brain releases oxytocin oxytocin is the love hormone your son will find it near impossible to emotionally erupt when you are touching him so you might need to duck and weave (laughs) moments um, when the arms are failing but if you can get in there for a cuddle or a nudge or you know a bump into the wall it really does make a difference and helps regulate their nervous system because one of the reasons they do get aggressive when they've come off the screen is they're discharging all the cortisol that's entered their body. Mm. Oh, I think I have to go back and listen to this interview over and over again. <laughs> Christy, thank you so much for your time today. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Sean. That's Dr. Christy Goodwin. She's a digital wellbeing author and researcher, and I'll put links to her website in the notes of this episode. I'm Siobhan Hunt. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us so we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, send your email to feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.